coming up on a basketball edition of the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. You have me, Austin Bolton, hosting along with the man himself, Trone. We went over the game against Cal State Fullerton, looked ahead to the game against BYU on Friday. Great conversation. Always glad to have the season started. But first, don't forget to rate, like, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow Trone and the show at Aztec Breakdown. You can follow me at It's Austin Bolton. You can follow Carly at Car Car McGee. You can follow Kyle at Call Me Kinslow. And you can follow Jacob at Aztec Analytics. Another great conversation. Super glad to get the season started. Yeah, let's get after it. Shepard was asking for it for three. Well, he felt it, didn't he? He was begging. Oh, what a play by Matt Mitchell. To Watson. Sees a lane, takes it underneath. Montana three. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Aztec Nation, we are back. There were games played. The Aztecs dominated Cal State Fullerton. Trone, how are you doing this Wednesday? We're doing we're doing really good. Anytime the Aztecs win, we we are happy, at least until they lose. And then our mental health goes way more south than it should. But they haven't lost yet, so we're doing good. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good, you know, it was a little closer than we thought at halftime. But the 14-0 run to start the game really uh, beat all my expectations. Like, I anticipated it to be slow. Yeah. Like, that's a pretty fair thing to expect out of a team doing something special. Um but you know what? They cruised away in the second half. They looked like a totally different team. But I mean, let's just get into it. We're already talking about the game. Let's get into it. The Aztecs sure. beat Cal State Fullerton 83-57 to Monday night. Trone, what is your headline? I'm bad at headlines, Austin, so I apologize. I think my headline is something like Ladie bulldozes through Fullerton or something like that. The guy was just a beast. He was all over the place, and especially on the inside, he was just bigger, stronger, tougher, faster than everybody else on the floor, it seemed like. Um, so, yeah, that's it's not the most creative, but it's what I got. Hey, that headlines are supposed to be short and sweet. I mean, run-and-gun Aztecs show up in first game of the season. I mean, that's I think that's my yeah. headline. That's I, a good one. Not, not sure I've ever seen this team before. Not sure if I've ever seen this Aztec team before like this. I don't remember one where they played so quick. Um, I was looking at the Ken Palm here. They had their average possession length was 14.2 seconds, which is 20th fastest in the country. I just obviously first game, small sample size, but we're, we're just digging in here. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them play that fast. It led to, the, to some shots that I wasn't totally comfortable with them taking, but this is our, I think this is the realest chance of us, of the Aztecs playing at this like crazy fast pace that they've kind of alluded to they were going to do the last couple of years, but it always reverted back. But it looked like the real deal last night. What did you, what'd you think of the, uh, of quick offense? I am, I am torn. And, and here's why, right? The shots they were getting were good for the most part. Um, with, with a couple exceptions, there were a couple shots where guys ran up and took a three really quickly, um, that I maybe would have preferred trying to work it around a little bit more or, or something. Um, but for the most part, if it's, if you're catching and shooting and you're open, then I'm not going to complain too much about it. If it's, if it's early, the, the part that I really liked about it was 
there was a big focus on getting Jaden Ledee into the paint and getting him the ball early. Loved that very much. The concern I have is running as a lower elevation team slash no elevation team in the mountain West, I don't think is a winning strategy because you're going to go to places like Utah state and Wyoming and air force where they might also want to run, but they're going to be conditioned better for it. And they're going to outrun you and it's not going to work anymore. So long-term for that, even short-term for BYU, that's a concern I have. Uh, so it's, it's very mixed. What, what, what are you thinking? I mean, personally, aesthetically, that's the type of basketball I like to watch. So I was kind of fine with it. It was just, it was kind of jarring to see, like they were getting deep penetration and they were just hitting these guys that were wide open. And, you know, I thought we'll get into some of these guys with Reese Waters and Micah Parrish, but even like BJ Davis was getting wide open looks and like he, he had some tough misses, but that's just the first game of the season. That's just him playing his first game. That place was electric, you know, just some nerves. I'm not worried about that at all, but it was, it was interesting to see. And, I thought their defense really led to their offense where they were really aggressive on the perimeter to try to get out and run. And also I think that Dutch made this point is either on John, with John Schaefer or it was in the press conference of Kelsey Fullerton was also really trying to crash the offensive glass and it worked really well in the first half, but that just led to them kind of getting out and running a little bit more where Jaden was just getting behind them. Mm-hmm. And that could have just been a product of what Cal State Fullerton was trying to do. So we'll see game one. Like if, if they do it in game two and game three, it, it'll definitely yep. be something going forward. But it also could have very been very easily just been a byproduct of what Cal State Fullerton was trying to do. So, all right, let's move on. Um, what was your favorite play from the game? You, did you have Did you have a favorite play? Yeah, I'm still in the middle of my rewatch. Um and I wasn't able to watch all of it live because some stuff ended up happening here at home and I missed probably about half of it at different points. But so far my favorite play has been uh, early in the second half, Jaden Ledee gets the rebound, takes the ball coast to coast and dunks it. And um, just what a way to show your versatility on offense. That's something he wanted to do ever since he came to San Diego state. It's something he said he wanted to do. Um, And it happened right after he did the same thing, the play earlier, but he didn't, he didn't get the dunk the play earlier. He drew a foul. Um, So to have that happen two times in a row uh, was, was really great. And it shows off his versatility and the different things he can do at his size. It was both exciting in the game and also very encouraging for the future. Yeah, that was an awesome play. It's a very Charles Barkley-esque, getting it off the rebound and just going coast to coast. Like, mm-hmm. if that's how he's going to play this mm-hmm. season and just ultra-aggressive on both sides, I think he choose something like 13 fouls. Um, he was he was outstanding. We're going to get to him in a we'll, – we'll do a deep dive on him in a second. Don't you worry. I will say, low-key, one of my favorite plays, and I want to say it was at the end of the first half or maybe the beginning of the second half – or middle of the second half, but there was a loose ball, and everybody's playing so aggressive. And Demarche Johnson just leaped across the floor to pick the ball up and get it up to his teammates for a fast break. His athleticism really showed that game. And when Miles Heidi, when the moment was maybe a little big for Miles Heidi, and it's no fault to his own, any freshman in that scenario was going to struggle. Like there's just it's just not it's just not a fair situation to put in. I thought Demarche played good on the switches. He if there's anybody that can kind of switch one through five on this team, I think you noted this on online was that like he might be the best at it, and. Yeah. I think he's going to actually play this season. I, I think everybody is kind of like, what's going to happen here? Why, you know, everybody was like a little surprised he didn't transfer. And 
he played really hard. And when he went diving on the floor for that ball, when I want to say the Aztecs were had a pretty sizable lead at the time, you know, I was like, okay, like he's in this. And I, and I just thought that was a super interesting, just little nugget from the game. Yeah. And if he, if he does that, if he's just bringing All right. energy, you know, giving, giving Ladie a breather, absorbing a couple fouls or whatever, you know, that's, that's all they really need out of the backup big. So. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into the start of the night. Jane Ladie. He had 27 points. He had 10 boards. He played 34 minutes. He hit a three. I, it's supposed to be on the box score here. I'm pretty sure he drew 13 fouls. Like I said before, he was unstoppable. This was kind of the guy we were promised after he redshirted. And then he showed in the BYU game and then took some time to adjust. But just looking at his, just looking at the stat line, Tron, what, what are you feeling about Jaden Ledeed just two days later? I feel, oh man, I feel very validated, very much like saying I told you so to nobody in particular. Nobody was really arguing against me or whatever, but like it, it just all off season, just saying like we should run the offense through the D. He's he's going to be like the best scorer on the team and like not just run the offense through him, but like do it in these ways, get him in the paint, get him close to the basket. Um, and he, he dominated and it is just against Fullerton and he's going to have a tough task against BYU coming up um, and, and going through the rest of the season. But just just the play style of, of his aggression, um, getting to the basket and drawing all those fouls. I, I, I always love players that draw a lot of fouls, even if it's not necessarily fouls that lead to free throws, even if they're not necessarily good free throw shooters, right? Ladie, a good year might be him finishing in like the low seventies probably in terms of free throw percentage. Right. But that's fine. That's still compared to most two point shots. That's still super efficient. Um, and it's not so much about like the actual act of making the free throws for me. It's about the act of building up those fouls. Cause they build on each other. They kind of compound. And now when somebody else gets a ticky tack foul, they're a better free throw shooter. They get to go to the line when they wouldn't have without Ladie drawing four of them in the first four minutes or whatever. Um, and also like messing up the other team's rotation. Like there's other compounding effects besides just making the free throws that I really love. And I'm, I'm very hopeful that he can continue to play with that aggression in drawing all that contact and finishing in close on top of all the other stuff that he does. Um, I, I can't say enough about Ladie, but Austin, I'm going to pass it to you because I can keep on going for hours. I feel like at this point. I just think everything you said is spot on. I mean, he just was unbelievable. He was a beast. You know, credit to Kelsey Fullerton. That team won a lot of games last year. They And then when they got down 14, they had a real tone reset, and they were scrappy, and they were talking a bunch of trash, and they were playing physical. Um, the one thing that really sticks out to me is that Jaden played 34 minutes, and it seems like mm-hmm. that's probably going to have to be the case all season. And because he plays so physical and because of the fouls drawn – there are going to be games he gets into foul trouble because of just the nature of how he plays. And there's going to be games where the calls just don't go his way like that. So that's just something to keep an eye on, but love the 15 free throws. I love that he made a three. He was eight for 10. He was eight for 12 from the field. I mean, 27 points on 12 shots. That's about as good as you can get when it comes to an efficiency standpoint. I just thought he was outstanding. I, I don't know. There's not much. I'll say he had a block. He had a really nice block. I thought he, I thought his rim protection was, better than maybe we were going to give him credit for at the beginning of the year when we were kind of talking about like, what are we going to do with the bigs here? I just, I thought he played really, I just, you know, what a great start to the season. And 
you know, here comes the test in BYU. What's it, what's it going to look like for the second year in a row against BYU? So just, you can't say enough good things about the guy. And I mean, he's nine after the first day of games, he's the ninth rated player in Ken Palm. So. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's move to Reese waters. I mean, what a start for Reese waters career on the Mesa. He had 15 points, five of 13 shooting. He had three assists. I think the most impressive thing about Reese was he looked comfortable in the offense He's he has the ability to take tough shots when we need it. When there was the out of bounds play where he caught it in the right corner and shot the fadeaway and hit the corner three there, like a guy that can just hit hard shots like that is valuable for those kinds of kinds of situations. And the guy was born to be a San Diego State Aztec, and I couldn't be more thrilled with the start of his career um, with this first game against Fullerton. How you feeling about Reese Waters? He, you know, that. I was so happy to see him hit that shot because that same play has been in use by the team for years. They ran that same play for Seiko. They ran it for Matt Bradley. They ran it for Jordan Shackle, right? It's, it's been a staple play in the blob set. So very happy to see that the coaches trust someone to hit that shot. Um, I'm wondering, cause so like I said, I'm on my rewatch and I haven't noticed a lot of Reese yet. I'm in like, I'm, two minutes into the second half, something like that, maybe three. And so I'm wondering if a lot of his damage came in the second half, or if I just haven't been noticing it because I've been looking at other things. I'm not sure, but his, his box score is, he was very active. Uh, He he was very active and getting, building the lead back up in the second half. So like he was kind of all over the place on defense. I think he got a couple breakaway dunks. So when you do that rewatch here in the second half, you're definitely going to notice him kind of being all over the place on the defensive side of the floor. Yeah. Yeah. The, the box score numbers are good. So, so I'm looking forward to seeing that the Evan Maya numbers were good. Um, so, which is, which is all you can ask for ultimately, like he's doing his job. Is he, is he the leading scorer? Not necessarily. Will he be occasionally? Absolutely. Will he be every game? I don't think so. I know that was kind of a narrative that like he's coming in to replace Matt Bradley. And I, I don't know how much I ever really bought into that in the sense of like, he's going to be the leading scorer all the time, but he'll be it occasionally he'll be the leading scorer every once in a while i think he's shown in this first game that he can do that and he also showed that he's a very versatile player um which i think is ideal for that wing position that he's in yeah i mean he was he's just it was he is really the perfect asset he was just flying over the floor played great defense 40 percent from three i mean just be consistent with that i mean it was a little a little uh you know from a 13 shots to 15 points, that's, you'd want that to be a little bit more efficient, but I thought he took good shots. So, you know, those, those are going to fall. Um, but let's talk about his wingmate. And that is Micah Parrish. He picked up three, three fouls in the first half, and then st- but still comes out smoking hot in the second half. 17 points, five threes. Uh, I really thought he had six rebounds. Again, I, always, I thought he was a sneaky good rebounder in the, in the tournament last year. I think he's going to be a great rebounder yeah. for us again. And... He seemed to be the emotional supercharge in this game when the team needed it. Like he definitely was John a little bit with one of the Cal State Fullerton guys. When he hit a big three, he yelled out a big scream. I think he's really going to fill the void on some of the outward facing leadership on this team. And I just love to see, I mean, the guy is just a badass. Like he just played with such ferocity and, you know, you need guys like that on our team and he was, but he was still playing controlled and he got the shots that he wanted Micah Parrish was outstanding, seven, you know, with 17 points. Opening thoughts on Micah Parrish, John. 
Um, I mean, he showed, I feel like everything we wanted, I I've been in agreement with you all off season that I think his rebounding is going to be solid. If not, if not even better, right. Sneaky, good rebounders, a great way to, to describe him. Um, came out just, just scorching hot. Once he, once he was finally able to, to really, you know, get in the game five of six from three is, is amazing. Um, the four steals also, super impactful three assists to go along with it. The the offense, man, I'm looking at this box score and there are so many assists. It feels like, like this team was moving the ball, which is awesome. Um, I, I am not, I know I, I I shouldn't bring it up because Kyle isn't here to defend himself. So I'm sorry, Kyle, but I, I am not as worried as Kyle is about Micah Parrish playing the four, right? I think it'll help open up the offense. I think he'll be able to hold his own on defense um, I've been wrong before. So, you know, Kyle might be onto something. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm not worried about that at all right now. Um, yeah, he played amazing. I, I considered him to be, to be, he was, he was in contention to be the player of the game for me on Monday night. And I ended up giving it to Liddy cause Liddy was just so amazing. But Micah was, was right up there for sure. Yeah, on the on the playing the four thing, I mean that's just starting the game. And yes, they play most of the, like the biggest lineup percentage chunks are the starters, but they're really going to play Elijah a lot. I think. I think Heidi's going to get some minutes. So is Demarche Johnson. So I don't, I don't, you know, Micah Parrish. He played twenty one minutes. He definitely didn't get twenty one minutes at the four. And when Tremel comes back, that number, you know, and if he doesn't get into foul trouble, he probably plays closer to thirty minutes. But I think 20 of those minutes will be at the four, maybe fifth, like kind of half of his minutes at the four. So I'm not too worried about that, about that. It's just going to be when there is kind of double size in a matchup, that's just where it's going to be tough. You know, I think at Gonzaga, that's going to be a tough game for him at the four, but your traditional mountain West opponents, like that's not going to be that big of a deal. He just, he, he really came out as a leader in, in this with the starting group, which, I don't want to say I was surprised by, but like, I really wanted to pound the point that I thought he was kind of the emotional engine, you know, when it was kind of revving the guys up and, you know, even in his post game comments, like he was like, yeah, Reese had a great game. He's going to learn the defense, but like he was great on offense, but he still has some stuff to do on deep. Like he's, he's almost the bad cop to Lamont's good cop <laughs> in the sense of like Lamont's this voice <laughs> of joy. And then here's, like here's Micah Parrish where he's, where he, you know, he's kind of the accountability guy and not saying that Lamont isn't either, but like you could just hear it in how he talked about talked in his post game interview with John Schaefer, but he just an outstanding game. I mean, three guys in double figures at 27, 17 and five, 15, like two years ago, we would have been like, who, I mean, even in during the game, I was like, who are these guys? But like, think about where the Aztecs have come from over the last handful of years to have three guys over 15. I mean, that's just outstanding. Okay, let's get to Lamont because a little discourse about Lamont. Nothing too crazy. He had eight points, three of nine from shooting. I think he would have one to one a little better on that. But let's talk about his seven assists because that's that's definitely what the scouts probably told him about being a floor general. And he did such a great job of using his quickness and speed to get into the paint. And then as soon as they collapse on him, I mean, he was hitting open guys in the corners like he was Chris Paul in his prime. Like that's he, I mean, Reese Waters and Micah Paris were just getting open look after open look and BJ Davis and my, everybody's getting open looks because there's so much attention on Lamont and he has such a good first step that once the help came, he was just 
one, two, three. And, you know, I, I don't remember a game where it seemed like he was being such a facilitator. And if that's going to be a trend all season, he's going to score points when we, when the Aztecs need him to, but if he's going to facilitate like that all season, the, the team is in good hands. what do you think of Lamont's uh, floor general performance from, from Monday night? Yeah, I think if he's doing that, it makes the team super deadly for sure. I, I had to look it up because somebody else asked me um, when the last time a, a player for SDSU had seven assists. Um, and it was actually it was actually last season. It was Lamont Butler had seven assists. I think it was against UNLV. Um, but those are that was the only other time Lamont Butler had done it. So this is his second game with seven assists. And hopefully it's a harbinger of things to come. I think he only had like in his three year career so far, plus this game, he only had, I think five or six games with five or more assists. And if he can, if he can get those numbers up, I think it's going to make the team a lot more deadly because he has always had the ability to get to the rim. He's always been a lead at that. Just his explosiveness um, lets him get by guys and he gets to the rim with ease. And when he does that, he's going to draw help and in the past, once he's there, he's been limited. Once he's at the rim, he wasn't always the best finisher at the rim. He, he had limited options there. He wasn't always the best at like reading the floor and deciding where the ball should go and making that decision in a timely manner. Um, so hopefully this game is is a harbinger of things to come because he was he was on it. I think the second play of the game, I think it was um, – I, I was ready. He's he's driving the lane and I was kind of ready for him to try and take some type of contested layup. And instead he kind of pulled the ball down and just bounced it to, to Elijah who was like two steps away. Like they were pretty close. Um, not, not a super intuitive pass. I didn't think. And then Elijah was able to like seal his guy and score. Um, so I, I, it was like such a basic pass, but I was so impressed by that as opposed to trying to force something up, which is what I feel like he would have done in the past. So the off season work is showing up for sure. Yeah. He's always had a great fifth gear where he could just explode, but now he's able to kind of downshift into like third gear, second gear, a little shovel pass here, a little shovel pass there, even like take a little side Euro and throw it off the glass to finish instead of just going hard at the rim, which I remember his freshman year, he would do that. And like his efficiency there wasn't great. And, but everybody's like, man, when this guy figures out how to downshift and how to just use his body and control himself, he's going to be awesome. And we're there. It happened. We're, this is we we saw it happen, and it's all the hard work that, that he's put in. His, his body, the way his body looks, is also different. Like last year, it was his legs. You could really see it in like the tr- his trunk of just how strong his legs are. His upper body feels pretty transformed this season, and he just the way that he's able to use his body and get into you know, physical situations, but still, you know, kind of yo-yo the ball and do whatever he wants with it is a real testament to just like that. That takes skill, obviously, but the practice you have to put in to kind of cultivate the skill to, to get to that moment is a real testament to what Lamont has done. All right. Let's uh, anything else in the box score that sticks out to you. Elijah had a, you know, I liked what Elijah did big three miles bird, uh, you know, was played, I thought he had some good moments. He he also he also had a couple of gaps, but I, I thought overall he still I liked what I saw. BJ Davis had some open looks. He'll hit those in the future. Demarche, like I said, anything that sticks out from the box score of any of anything you just want to shout out? Uh, n- nothing that I'm concerned about. 
I don't think the the twenty nine percent from three isn't isn't great. I don't think that's going to continue. I I feel like even if even if this team doesn't have elite shooters, which I would argue at the very least Micah Parrish is probably considered somewhat of an elite shooter. Um, even besides that, even if even if the guys are just like average, that would mean they're going to finish closer to thirty three or thirty four most games. Um, which in this case is another another shot made. I think it's another it's an extra three points. It, it's not huge, but it is different. Um, so I'm not I'm not too concerned about that. We'll see as the games progress how long it takes for guys to really find their rhythm. Um, but nothing to be concerned about yet. Yeah, you know I think they're going to be much closer to the 38 percent they shot in the second half than the 22 percent they shot in the first half. They definitely had. Once they got up 14, especially, they're like, oh, wow, we're just going to come and maybe cakewalk these. They took some pretty just, we'll call them pickup threes, right? And I think once they <laughs> kind of settled in the second half and knew they weren't going to run away with it, you know, I think they were more in their set. I mean, they took five less threes in the second half and said they won the second half by 20-something points. I think that that evidence is yeah. right there. I, you know, there's going to be a game where this a game this season where this team hits 15 threes. There might be a game where they only they might go four for twenty five, but there will be a game this season where they go like fifteen for thirty. They'll they'll be like right, and they'll just be on fire one game because they do have the firepower. Especially if Darian comes back and gets some open looks, and you know Lamont's not going to go zero for three from three every game. And I I, I just think there's going to be a game there's going to be a game this season where they just get red 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 hot and. You just love to see it. It's just, it's another, just kind of, if you're looking at comparisons at 2020, like that team could get hot from three, two. And I, I don't think that this team is much different in that regard. All right, let's, let's move to Homer and Hater. We haven't done this in a while, but if you're new to ASIC breakdown, Homer and Hater is simple, classic sports radio trope where you have an unra- an irrational take either on the homer side or you have an irrational take on the hater side. Trone, do you have a homer or hater for us today? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm I'm going to start with the hater um, because it's nice to finish on a positive note. Um, and I definitely – sorry, I'm waiting to see if my robot vacuum is going to turn on, which is excellent radio, but I don't think it is, so that's good. Um, <laughs> I I definitely I want to make it clear because I've listened to like you and Carly do Homer and Hater before and I always in my mind I'm like those actually seem pretty rational to me um, and I I go after it I feel like when I'm, I'll be listening to you guys and I'm like I'm I'm going like crazy so these are definitely irrational things that don't actually represent what I believe before you come at me on Twitter if you're gonna come at me just understand that and we can make it a joke and it'll be fine my hater is uh miles bird is not ready for the moment he needs another year to develop he did not he did not look like a high iq basketball player he was playing super aggressive which isn't in and of itself a problem but he was like trying to jump passing lanes and he he got i think in the first half alone there were four or five times i counted where he tried to jump a passing lane and missed and got out of position and it broke the defense and then uh fullerton was able to get a good shot and i think i only counted once or twice where he actually got the deflection it's not a good ratio if you're going to be breaking your own defense it's bad um so the hater would be he needs to sit a whole nother year and develop and and be ready next year would be my hater take 
man, I got to like send the fire extinguisher through my computer screen here to like cool you off after that hot take. No, I, you know, it's funny. There was a, I, I am not that worried about miles. I will just say there was no, a couple times I noticed not, where actually. he was definitely playing off. No, he was definitely playing off the guy's hip and he got by him and he was a little aggressive on defense. But I also think just like, he's definitely seems like an excitable guy and the excitement of everything. Like he was flying all over the place. And when he harnesses that, it's going to be fun to watch. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, uh, I, I hear you. Like there was a couple where I was just like, all right, like he's testing himself here. I'm a little surprised. I mean, maybe this is a depth issue, but if Kakishad pulled some of that off last year or two years ago, he would have been hooked so fast in those games where he just, there was just like that. And like, that didn't happen totally with miles bird. I will say the funniest thing, and as a Laker fan, you'll appreciate that. I don't know if you'll remember this, at the, but this is, I equate to it. At the end of the first half, Miles Bird pulled a Jeremy Lin. And what I'm referencing here is during a Laker game, Jeremy Lin waved off Kobe for an end of clock play and Kobe, at the end of the half, and Kobe kind of looked at him funny. Well, Miles Bird did the same thing at the end of the first half where it was they were winding the clock down, winding the clock down, and Lamont was just over on the wing, and he got his cookies taken. And I was just like, that's like, I was just thinking, that's just like the Jeremy Lin play on the Lakers. I think that that one was in the second half, so it had more consequence, but it just reminded me of that. But it's good learning. Some, I think a lot of the mistakes he made were good mm-hmm. learning mistakes, and it's always better to mm-hmm. learn when you win than when you lose. So not worried about all about, Mile, about Miles Bird. Not at all. It's the same conversation we had about Butler a few years ago. Right. It was the same exact things like he's playing too fast. It comes from confidence and aggression, which is great. But he needs to learn like you were just saying he needs to find that third and fourth gear. It's the same exact thing. I'm not worried at all in actuality. I mean, even think about after the Arkansas game. Last year in Maui, that was a Lamont conversation everybody was having and everybody forgets where Lamont came from. You know, everybody remembers the shot, but they don't remember how hard he took it after that Arkansas game. All right, my hater, and I don't know why I'm wading into fan discourse again, but here I am. Nobody gets to complain until February if the team isn't doing that great. They, we just don't. Like, let's not do this. Like, I, I don't. All the, I heard someone complaining about, oh, this team can't hit free throws again. Some guy sitting behind me at the game, and I was just like, let's just not do that. Like, I don't want to say rest on our laurels, but like, it is so obvious that this team ascends throughout the year, and that that is a thing and we just went to the national championship game so before you have a laundry list of the things that this team does bad poorly or whatever just pump the brakes we don't well, let's not do this yet like we you know we could do that later if the team is like middling around 500 a little over 500 going to conference play maybe those conversations can be had but i'm not ready to do it after an exhibition and a game against Cal State Fortune. And even if the Aztecs lose to BYU, I'm not ready to do it after that either. No, no. BYU is, yeah, going to be a very tough game. I, I, the last game I went to, I think, was the Kawhi Leonard retirement uh, game. Um, and I got, I got tickets. Somebody in like the band, I think, had um, like tickets for family members type thing. And they just gave me their tickets. So shout out once again to you individual who did that, if you're listening. Um, but so I was in the show and there were people all around me. If, if you remember that game, Malachi Flynn had like a poor first half. And I don't remember if he came back how much in the second half, but like his first half, he was missing seemingly everything. And I remember people saying like, they need to stop giving him the ball. 
And I was like, this guy's going to be an All-American. You don't just like in my head, right? I was like, you don't just stop giving this guy the ball. He's the best player on the team. Um, yeah, fan discourse in the stands always kind of cracks me up for sure. It's just been a rough year for fan discourse in general with the football situation. So just, you know, all right, let's do some homers. I love how this team plays. I love it. Let's go. Like, let's let's just fly around and get steals and dunks and threes and play a little showtime here. I am all for it. And I think it looked good on them. And I loved and I just love to see it. And I love this. I just love the style they play. And I think it fits them really well. Tron, you got a you got a homer for us. Homer, this team, I have to double check here real quick, led by Jaden Ledee, is going to have my homer, similarly irrational hyperbolic take, is going to have the first Ken Palm rated top 10 offense uh, in really in Ken Palm history, but that's mostly just the Fisher Dutcher era. Currently, the top offense was ranked 11th in the nation, and that was in 2020. I'm saying this one, my homer take, this is going to be a top 10 offense. This is going to be an unstoppable offense. And the only question is, can the defense match it? Man, I love that. That's just great stuff. Top, could you imagine your San Diego State Aztecs with a top 10 Ken Palm offense? It's like I dream about that kind of thing. Yeah. All yeah, right. We have talked about their style. All right. We, we had style on the, on the thing. So we had – we've talked about their style a lot. So I'm going to skip this on the rundown. Just, you know, I think we, we love the style. But on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does the bench production make you nervous after game one? So far, one, maybe two. Sorry if you hear my dog. He's trying to go outside. I might let him out in a minute. Um, one or maybe a two uh, for for a couple reasons. One, the team, at the very least, like the starters looked good. And if the team needs to shorten up the bench, ultimately that's okay. I know we're very much used to playing nine and, and even occasionally 10 guy rotations. Um but I don't think that's a requirement for success. We've seen teams play six and seven guy rotations like Nevada a few years ago that went to the Sweet 16 um, have success with, with shorter rotations. So that's that's one. Number two, Darian Trammell is out. So we were down a starter, which means when he's back, somebody, we're guessing Elijah Saunders, is going to move to the bench. And we were pretty happy with the way Elijah Saunders played. So that improves the bench production. And three, the bench aside from Jay Powell is pretty much all young guys who like you've been saying, like need to just get used to the moment and, and still build their flow in. And even Jay Powell, he's, he's not a young guy, but he uh, was hurt through a lot of like the training camp time. Um, and so he's still kind of catching up from that, I believe as well. So I am not particularly nervous. Give it a couple more games and we'll see. How are you feeling Austin? I'm, I'm with you. And you stole my point about Darian and that some of our bench production is going to come from Elijah, Elijah Saunders, especially when him and bird have such good cohesion that when they do come off the bench together, they are just, you know, I think there's going to be some real chemistry there. Um, and I think also when he's in with Jane Ledee, there's, there's some really good just mojo going there. I, I really love the high lows that they were doing where Elijah was getting it at the top of the key Jaden sealed his guy off and they just went over the top and Elijah's really good at that pass. And so 
when he comes into the game and kind of spells Jaden to the four, where they're kind of swapping the four five spot, where they're going kind of switching the high lows, where Elijah will be on top and then Jaden's on the block, and then they can switch that back and forth and kind of play free flowing. I think that's going to be where a lot of the production will be from the bench. And then, although Darian's going to start, he's going to play a lot with the second unit, I think. And so he will get a lot of those minutes with the second unit. And although they won't technically be bench bench points, they will be with bench units. And so I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of, where he may not get as much production with the starters. His production will come with that second group where he's mm-hmm. kind of the one, one a guy. Forgot to ask, speaking of and styles, we'll, how we'll much did you enjoy the high low? Loved the high low for, for so many reasons. I just love high lows in general, but also it it's very much a high low that they're doing in semi-transition. Like it's it's designed specifically to run the offense through Ladie. Right? That's its entire purpose is Ladie rim runs, he goes and he gets deep position and Elijah's job is to just get him the ball basically as quickly as possible. That way he can score quickly, easily before the defense is really set. Even if you don't have that numbers advantage, the defense isn't quite set yet. And that's going to lead to so many opportunities, one for Ladie. And he had one or two times where he was able to pass out of it too, to a wide open shooter because the defense is all going to collapse as they get used to the Aztecs, like feeding him the ball. Um, it's going to leave guys wide open. So I, I love that not only that they're doing the high low, but it's like designed with intention. It just with the, the trend, this transition semi-transition part, I think is the key where he's just rim run, rim running. And you can just tell he just ran a ton of laps in the summer and just ran wind sprints to go rim to rim and just get the ball dumped down to him. And you know, the first game, I thought there was some wonky passes down there, but that's kind of to be expected. Once they kind of really get the touch and the feel of it, you know, I mean, will they be able to do that against, like, if they were to play Ryan Kalkbrenner again, is that a play? Is that something they're going to run again a bunch if they get Creighton somewhere down the line? Like, probably not. But, you know, if Dagenhart's playing center for Boise, Jaden Ledee can absolutely take advantage of that against a guy like Tyson Dagenhart, who's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like he doesn't have the height to kind of be mm-hmm. the counter to that play. And I thought it was a really interesting wrinkle. It's, it's, it was really – it was. I mean, Nathan and Yanni did it in 2020 when those guys played together. And I think this version of it is actually more versatile because Nathan couldn't really go to the top of the key like that and make the touch pass to Yanni. That was Matt Mitchell. Matt Mitchell made that pass, not, not Nathan Mensa. So mm-hmm. – all right, let's let's get in to Friday's game, six o'clock on ESPN Plus on the Big Twelve Network. Pro BYU is now in the Big Twelve, so if this is a Power Five game, con the Big Twelve games are on ESPN Plus. So take what you can get. Although it's just game one of the season, uh, BYU is thirty third in Ken Palm to start the season. They smoked something called Houston Christian one ten to sixty three in their first game. Sure, those are nice kids. Never heard of them before. Um, the Aztecs are four and thirty all time in Provo, but have won four out of your last six. Because we're going to end on a good note, we'll start with Trone. What makes you nervous about this game? Uh, running at elevation is is what makes me nervous on on both sides. BYU really likes to run. They, uh, I think, they had. They were within like 0.1 second on offense of wherever the Aztecs ended up. I think you said 14.2 earlier. So they are also um, very much, very intentionally running. And that's, I've, I've watched uh, 
both their their first game as well as uh, their their scrimmage game, their exhibition game. Um, they want to run. They want to run a lot. So it worries me on defense. And then as well as on offense, if the Aztecs want to keep running, um, how's that going to look? Because I don't think they're going to be able to outrun a BYU team that's been preparing for it and is used to the elevation and all that stuff. It's yeah, I think that's right. I mean, just playing in Provo, like longtime rivals, although we're not in the same conference, like we've kept this, this series up for a reason. And we just came back from playing in the national championship and those guys are going to want to knock us off our pedestal. That place on Friday is going to be bananas. It's going to be bananas. And you know, I think Miles, Miles Heidi in particular, like, I don't know just how much run he's going to be able to play in a situation like that. That's going to be the most hostile environment that guy's ever played with in his life. And the same could be said probably for Miles Bird and Elijah Saunders, although they were on the team in those, they, they didn't get a lot of runs. So this could be a game where they, they actually fall behind early. And can a six-person, seven-person rotation in the second half crawl them back? And because I, I do kind of expect while they kind of figure their footing out there in Provo for them to fall behind and will they just be able to get all the way back? I think that's what makes me the most nervous about this game. What about you? Uh, let's, before we, just, you know, since we're last, last thing we got here on the, on the breakdown, what makes you optimistic about this game? Why, why are the Aztecs going to win? Why are you feeling good about going to Provo and the Aztecs coming out with the W? I I just think the Aztecs are better <laughs> at the risk of sounding like too much of a homer. I just, from what I've seen from BYU and from what I've seen from SDSU, I think the Aztecs have a better team. I think they're going to, their, their center, uh, Fusini Traore is his name. He's a good player, don't get me wrong. He's 6'6". Six, six. Um, he's able to, to bang down low because he weighs 245 and has a seven, two wingspan. Um, but I don't think he's going to out physical a guy like Jaden Ledee unless, you know, lack of oxygen comes into play. Um, so like, that's super encouraging. I think BYU also wants to just chuck the ball from three, every chance they get. And the Aztecs historically, have been very good at defending the three point line. Um, and especially last year where they were like 24 and one against teams that took more than 38%. I think it was of their shots from, from three, uh, the one being Yukon, uh, the, the Aztec, it, they, they're able to force misses historically. And so we'll, we'll see if that keeps up this year. This is a different team. So you can't, you can't guarantee that, but, um, I think those things those things bode well for the Aztecs. What what gives you optimism, Austin? This this is the homer take. And I'm stealing this from Jacob from the spread offense. There's just an aura around this group that just gives me supreme confidence. And just like in 1920, they're gonna go to Provo and beat these guys. And nice. they just it's just I just feel good about it. Other years we've gone to Provo. I'm like, eh, like probably not going to happen. I think the last time we were there in 20 must've been 21 and they did fall way behind and Matt Mitchell almost brought him back. I was pretty convinced they were going to lose that game. Like going into that game, I was like, eh, like chalk it up and they could still lose here, but there's just yep. something about this team and you could feel it in the building. 
on Monday of these guys know they're good and the guys who are going to get the most minutes, it's just, it's just a different way of going about it than they did. You talked about the depth, we, not quite as much, but when you get to play Jaden Ledee 34 minutes because you're not worried about another guy needing minutes behind him where you know, they're just playing 20 minutes a guy for nine, 10 guys, it just allows them to get in a different kind of rhythm. And if they get any kind of hot streak going in them, they can just put up these kill shots and I'm feeling good about it. I, you know, I think, I also think Cal State Fullerton is a better team than Houston Christian. So it's a better test. Uh, they were, there was a little bit of adversity when all of a sudden everybody's kind of holding their breath being like, Hey, what's going on here? When it got down to two points at the end of the first half. But I, I am just super excited about this game because having this game in the early in the season is so, is so awesome that they kept it around because it's such a good litmus test. And I think they're going to pass the witness test this year. There you go. All right, Trump. All right, Trump. All right, that that's all the points we had. Is there anything else you wanted to cover before we get going here? Nope, nope. Just just go as text. We got. I think we got two games before our next show. Actually, maybe we'll find a way to increase the amount of shows we do each week. I don't know. We'll we'll try and look into that. But just you know. Go Aztecs, get that dub in BYU, beat Long Beach State, and that's, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, we'll catch you next time, and go Aztecs. On the floor, it's Butler with two seconds. He's got to put it up, and he wins it. He wins it with the jumper. Mitchell's feeling it. Now we have tasted it. We're coming back. We're coming back.